The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! in Detroit's in at least two bands, at very minimum. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, those are the slackers. I mean, and that's like pretty much how any all of us got into the dirt bomb. Right. It's like, you know, there's a slot open. Okay, you need, you know, a guitar, uh, you know, a bass player. Here are the 10 bass players you can choose from. (laughs) Co is probably the most garage out of all of us. It's time for round two. We're in the ring. He's feeling good. He's feeling fine. He's dodging. He's bobbing. He's weaving. How you feeling out there? I'm very tired out here because I've been fighting uh, nonstop for about three months now. But I uh, I think I'm coming out the other side. And um, let me tell you, those weeks, they really pile on. And I I, uh, I haven't eaten anything since August. Uh, like a plate of spaghetti, roll it out the other side. He's been fighting for three months. Uh, this opponent I'm fighting here <laughs> is very, very tall. That's why they call him Lanky Lancaster. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to overcome him, but I just don't know how to do it. Hey, you stupid American. Wow. Yeah. You found an even more offensive accent than I thought you could. Stupid American, I walk around, I treat you like bug. There was thrusting on that, too. There's a lot of thrusting. I destroy you. Como se dice victory? Oh, he's Spanish. I didn't even... I'm from Ecuador. Oh, well, this is no offense to the Ecuadorian people. Now, let's see. Come at me, stupid American bug. All right, he's coming He's coming out of it. Oh, oh, uh, I'm going to ring the bell. I'm Bob. I'm weaving. I'm Bob. Stupid he's bobbing. He's weaving. I'm oh, he's bobbing. He's weaving. All right, he's, he's, he's punching. Stupid oh, he's punching. American. He's punching above the bell. I am king I'm of Ecuador, fighters. Does Ecuador even have a king? I feel like they've got a parliamentary system. Anyway, he's bobbing. I said fighters at the end there. Hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. I, I, I'm just going to muster up all my... Wait, I'm going to sling back on the ropes here and... And the Ecuadorian king is down. Why? <laughs> it's a KO. Thank you. Well, that it's was... a total knockout. <laughs> That's what KO stands for. 
That is going to require some fancy editing. Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. Hey, Godspeed, Paul. I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. I'm bobbing. I'm weaving into this Jack White history podcast. We don't know what the intro has to do with this, except no. uh, the fact that we have a very special one today, Paul. No idea. You know, I was listening to a different podcast the other day, and I was thinking to myself, man, if these co-hosts weren't such goofballs, I would enjoy this way more. <laughs> if these guys <laughs> did something relevant to what their topic was. Now, now hold my beer while I play a turkey salesman or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are, a, as James mentioned, we are a Jack White history program. We go over Jack White film and TV and movies. And sometimes, James, we interview people connected to the Third Man Records world. And in this case, James, we have a show first. So every now and again, we do these things called extended interviews where we talk for a whole episode with a musician or an artist or somebody affiliated with the Jack White world. And we've talked to many throughout the course of this podcast over many years now. Yeah. But we've never done a part two full interview later on, you know? Like, we've talked to Ben Jenkins twice, and sometimes I split the interviews up like we did with Rob Jones, but this is a first, James. We have a very special guest returning for a second extended interview. Yeah, and uh, on top of that, uh, we have a special co-host joining us as well, which is also a little different. Paul, returning to the show today, she's connected by love. It's... Yeah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's Comalina back on the show, here to talk about some more fun stories involving the mystery van that got stolen and Mm -hmm. diarrhea. (laughs) That's right. Comalina, who has worked for the White Stripes, uh, she was a front woman with Co and the Knockouts. She is a, oh God, a 10 or 15 year veteran of the Dirt Bombs, something like that. And close personal friend of pretty much everyone from Detroit around the time of the big Detroit music boom of the uh, turn of millennium there. And we had a wonderful opportunity to talk to Co about a lot of this stuff last fall. We're about to jump back in here because there was a lot of stuff we just didn't get to. Yeah, there was a whole page worth of questions we didn't get to in the last interview that we were able to uh, kind of knock out of the park with this interview. Yeah, and as you mentioned, we are also joined by Kate McCoy, who is a uh, listener to the show and uh, a frequent contributor of facts and stories and such. and You might uh, know her better as the Bones of the Operation. That's right. We give her a shout-out every episode. And Kate joined us because she is a Dirt Bombs super fan. And, of course, one of Comalina's biggest trademarks is her stint in the Dirt Bombs. So, anyway, Kate uh, joined us to ask some really cool Dirt Bombs questions. And it was actually really great, James, having a third co-host, because we just never really do that. But how appropriate is it to modify our co-hosting mm. with an episode featuring a co-Molina. Mm-hmm. Yes, we had three co-hosts and a co-co-host. Yeah, uh, Paul. Coco, Ice-T's <laughs> wife. That's her yeah. name? I want to say, <laughs> is it Coco? <laughs> I, I feel it's, like it's, I it's, think it's, it's Coco. It's Toto. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we are going to jump into this interview here because we have just so much to get to. And James, sometimes I just have a real good time editing this show And when I got to about minute seven of our opening discussion about diarrhea with Comalina, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, Self, what is this show? (laughs) (laughs) What have we created uh, for you, the listening public, 
but you're going to get it. Yeah, what we have created is something special that I don't think you could get anywhere else. Nowhere else will you get seven, literally. James, we don't, can I tell you this? We don't even start the interview formally. We just sort of start talking about diarrhea <laughs> for seven minutes. And that's the seven minutes I kept. There can was you, like 13 or 14 minutes in there. Can you do me a favor and just, when we do cut to the interview, can you just fade into us already talking about it? <laughs> I don't even want to spoil the rest of it for you guys because it gets crazy. Like, we love Ko. And none of this is like, hey, Ko's a weirdo because that's not it at all. In fact, it was. I think we all felt so comfortable with Ko. And fortunately for us, I think Ko felt somewhat comfortable with us. So we just had this really informal, awesome discussion that just so happened to involve Mick Collins' BMs. So like, I think it's actually really cool. And I'm happy we got this, <laughs> this opportunity. You know what we've done? is we have turned the already 14-minute discussion of diarrhea into a 20-minute <laughs> discussion. With It's 14 minutes with six minutes of preamble about what we're about to say. Well, James, then, without further ado, I think someone's got a story to tell. I'm just going to cut right to the Oh, choice. wow, all right. <laughs> it's every single one's got a story to tell, James. <laughs> Would you like to tell the people what every single one's got a story to tell is? I would love to, Paul. That's when the listening public, such as yourselves, send in a story about something you've done, uh, going to a concert, meeting somebody, particularly in the third man world, as that's what the show's about. You send it to us, and we relay it out to everybody else. This week, we get a very cool story from Yvette Wilkins, a.k.a. Wilkins on Sunshine, who actually, James, I had the lovely opportunity to hang out with when she was visiting Los Angeles uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday, and we had a great time. Oh, nice. She sends us in a story in relation to our episode 84, Baseball and a Biscuit, Mm. where she wanted to share a Jack White baseball moment that she had personally witnessed that took place when he played a Lollapalooza after show mm. so he played at the Metro a small historic venue down the street from Wrigley Field and it was one of her favorite line waiting experiences because there was a Cubs game on that day and she uh, loved watching the fans walk to and from the game and of course the Cubs won and she is a baseball fan and really enjoyed the energy coming from fans excited to see a game and joyful after the win. The show started late, obviously. They had to wait until after the festival ended, but it was worth it because the venue was probably the smallest for a Jack White show that she's ever seen next to the Blue Room. Mm -hmm. So when they were let in, they were glad to see that there was no rail. I guess the artist can choose no rail allows for more people to come in. And uh, she ended up right in the front because the three boxes were a little high, so shorter people would have had a hard time getting a good view, but that was fine for her because she is not 16, as she put it, but six feet tall. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good. So anyway, she goes on to say that there was a number three tile sitting on the stage, and she didn't figure out what it was until later. Jack came out, was full of energy, and they knew that they were in for a great show. A little while in, they discovered that while Jack proceeded to tell what the three was... And I think that that was the scorecard from the Wrigley Field game that he got, which we actually don't think we mentioned in the baseball episode. We did episode. not. No, yeah, you're right. Jack White got the opportunity to go behind the scenes, basically, at a baseball game and basically put the scorecard at Wrigley Field to the number three once they got a, a score of three there. Yeah, and I think he got to keep it. 
too. I think that I was think so too. Yeah, I admittedly forgot about it until we were recording the episode, and I'm like, it's too late now. So there you go. Here's some more baseball for you. <laughs> yeah, right. As she recalls, I think her friend Jenny said that this was more John Gillis talking, not Jack White, because he was so giddy mm. at having that, which tracks with what Ben Jenkins had told us in episode 84 about Jack's just like fanboy enthusiasm for baseball and stuff. So anyway, the show was intended to be shorter because it was so late, but he played about 15 songs and then for an encore, three more, ending with Connected by Love. So actually, I think this was this year. No one wants a show to end, especially that short, but he finished the encore and they left the stage. The lights came on and a wonderful world was playing. And here's the cool part, James. I thought this was really cool. So the techs started taking the equipment away, but it was weird because no one would stop cheering. And since it was a small venue, it was really loud. So they just kept chanting, clapping, and cheering. Basically, they refused to leave. And after a few minutes, the techs brought back the equipment. (laughs) The band came back out, and Jack walked up with a smirk, mouthing the words, Go home. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Talk about a good story. Like, that's great. Yeah. No, that's nice. Yeah. Best case scenario. (laughs) And then at the very end, she just says as a personal anecdote, when he was done, he walked up to the front. And since she was so close, she held up her hand and Jack took her hand, held it for a few seconds and tightened his grip Mm. to stand on the box. So she basically helped him up. Oh, nice. That's an amazing concert experience. Like, Yvette has seen some cool shows, but that one's got to be hard to top. Yeah, no, that's pretty awesome. And he deserves that kind of send off, basically. Yeah. It's a good way to end his tour. It's pretty good. That was very cool. And thank you, Yvette, for writing it in. And thank you for uh, joining me out here for lovely coffee and hanging out with uh, me and the baby and buying some records. That was a lot of fun. And James, that's been every single one's got a story to tell. Hey, where's my visit? All right, James, what do you say we get in this interview here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's suck it to him. Let's give him the old <laughs> one, two. Let's, let's do it. Let's. Yeah, Paul, let's get into this interview. <laughs> Bathroom talk is always audio gold. Well, you know, that's the. It's funny because when you start, like, touring with a band that you haven't been really familiar with, that's always a good way to gauge how well you're going to get along with them. Okay. Is how how long it takes before you start talking about shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, ta- you know you know what I mean? Like, taking a shit and going to the bathroom. And, yeah. Because that's a really, I mean, that's a really important thing. Yeah. yeah. Because. Especially if you're on the road. You don't get the comforts of home where you're like, okay, I have to go to the bathroom, so I'm going to go to the bathroom. You know, you have to, like. <laughs> Say like, oh, you know, we need to make a rest stop, and sometimes there's not a rest stop. Yeah, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but personally, I know I learned very early on. I do not care who's around. I can poo and pee. Yeah, around anybody, you know, it doesn't matter to me. I have no yeah, shame just in my game in public. You know, you know, yeah, yeah. at the mall. I mean, we play, we play, yeah, we played <laughs> venues where like they have. I can't remember what what, what venue it was. Ah, Ben would know, little baby Ben. <laughs> but there was a there was a green room in which they had because that's the one big thing. That's the greatest thing about a green room is mm. if they have a, a, an attached bathroom, right? So that we don't have to actually go out and like use the general 
sure. everybody else's bathroom. Yeah. And I know that it sounds like, oh, we don't have to use the same bathroom as everybody else. <laughs> but it's actually a thing because, like Pat, Pat has like his rituals before he goes on stage and he likes to use the bathroom right before we go on stage. So it's really difficult if he has to go like out and, you know, whatever. Anyway. Oh, I, I love getting the dirt on everybody's weird <laughs> I know. Now I'm already talking about everybody's bathroom rituals here. Yeah. Um, it provides a whole new meaning to the word dirt bomb. But um, the, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess it would sort of destroy the stage illusion if you were waiting in line for the bathroom and Mick Collins emerged right before you and then you went in there and it was just the worst smell imaginable. Oh, I have a really horrible mix. McCollin's bathroom story, but I'll, I'll tell that in a second. Whoa! But so um, <laughs> right into the deep end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No shame, no shame. So, uh, but there's one venue I can't remember where it is, um, and I probably I think they've probably changed it since then. But uh, you go into the green room, and right in the middle of the green room, there's like this shower curtain, like you know, in the middle. That goes around in a circle, and you're like, huh, what is this? Yeah. And then you open up the shower curtain, and it's a toilet. Wow. Like, just, you know, with the shower curtain around it. Not a lot of privacy. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the least amount of privacy you could possibly have without it just being, like, a see-through shower curtain or just nothing there. Yeah. You know, but yeah. I mean, but you, but so so obviously, when you can't relieve yourself... And it's not even so much peeing, you know, peeing, whatever, it's not a big deal. But, you know, your eating habits change, and they're not always great. So everybody gets constipated, everybody, you know, whatever. Wow. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) It's true. I mean, try, like, try being in a van for, like, you know, a a few weeks on end where it's like, all right, Here's our choices of foods to eat. Right. And we have to eat quickly. And after you eat, you got to get back in the van and you don't get to stop like an hour later. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't get your like poopy time. Right. <laughs> it makes you, it really makes you wonder about like bands throughout history all had to go through this. And it makes you wonder like who was the real fiend who just had the worst diet and ruined it for everyone. Like it'd be really like awesome if it just turned out that Charlie Watts was just a notorious bathroom bomber or something. You know? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we all know Tom Waits. Yeah. <laughs> well, so this leads me to the most terrible bathroom story on the planet. Whew. Um, sorry, Mick Collins. I gotta air the story out. This is the worst. Um, we always traveled by van. We never had enough money to get a bus. And you get a van, you stop at a rest stop, and you do your thing in the rest stop. Uh-huh. And we always did our own headlining tours uh-huh. where we would play middle of the road venues. And we would do pretty well, but we never played big, huge venues. Mm -hmm. But we did a couple tours where we would open up for, like, The Hives or, like, Spiritualized or uh, TV on the radio, you know. And those were, like, huge venues. Sure. And those guys were all in tour buses. And that's a little bit different because if they're on a tour bus... After their show finishes, they drive throughout the night. Uh-huh. But they get day rooms during the day at a hotel nearby so that they can, like, shower and change and this and that, blah, blah, blah. So the nice thing about that is that if the band is nice, they'll give you their hotel rooms for you to sleep in. Mm-hmm. So TV on the radio, those guys did that. They would, you know, they would get these hotel rooms during the day, 
And so after they were done with them, you know, showering and stuff, they would get on the van after the show and they'd be like, you guys can take the hotel room for the night. Uh-huh. You know, so we would just play catch up with them driving the next day. So I think this was like the third day of our tour with TV on the radio. <laughs> yeah, probably our third day or something. And we played in Rhode Island and we had a day off. We went to hang out with TV on the radio and they had their tour bus parked outside the hotel, their hotel. Uh-huh. And so they had like rooms they were staying in in their hotel and then they also had their tour bus. I don't really know, because when I did merch for the White Stripes, I stayed on the tour bus with them a little bit, but we didn't really have days off or whatever. So I guess sometimes, like, the tour bus gets really comfortable and, you know, you don't want to stay in the hotel. Whatever. Sure. Mm. But the number one cardinal rule of tour buses, and it's like a rule that everybody knows, you know, there's bathrooms on tour buses, but you cannot (laughs) go number two on a tour bus. (laughs) Okay. And not do it. It makes sense. Um, it makes sense. Yeah. You can't do it. Yeah. I mean, because the guy who drives the tour bus, I mean, it it has to, I think it has to do with the fact that like, you know, when they dump the waste, blah, 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 blah. And the band gets fined, all this stuff. And I kind of assumed, you know, we all knew this rule. I, and I kind of assumed that it was unsaid because it's just one of those things. Everybody knows. Right. You don't go number two on a tour bus. And we were sitting in the tour bus that was parked right in the back of this hotel. So we're all hanging out with TV on the radio on their tour bus. And, like, we were watching, I don't know, The Muppet Show or something. On, you know. <laughs> you know. I mean, Fozzie's humor always gets me a little, you know. Yeah. I mean, those guys are great. The Muppets? Uh, yeah. Are, yeah. Yeah, I love The Muppets. Yeah. It was either The Muppets or Sesame Street. Something like that. It was really, uh, you know. They're a very interesting crew. To digress a little bit, like Tunde, the lead singer, you know, like before he was doing TV on the radio, he was like the lead animator on uh, MTV Celebrity Deathmatch. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, what? You know what I mean? Like, But he's like, like the most like kind, thoughtful guy. And I was like, how did you spend years and years animating, you know, like grotesque, like... (laughs) horrible stuff and he was like yeah it got to be really horrible after a while (laughs) anyway that's great johnny yeah so we're just like hanging out with those guys and blah 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 and mick's like oh i've got to use the bathroom so we all just figure he's gonna go in the bathroom and take a piss Mm -hmm. especially because the hotel is you know maybe 200 feet away or whatever yeah and we're just talking blah 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 watching the muppet show i think it's me and ben and kip and we just keep talking, and some time goes by, and all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, it's been a long time. <laughs> and then we realize it smells kind of bad, and we realize that Mick has done the cardinal sin of taking a crap on the tour bus. <laughs> And we're like, oh, my God. Like, you know, we're in our second or third day on tour with these guys. And he's taking a crap on their tour bus. You know, and, and you know, and it's a big fine for them. Yeah. So we're just like, oh, what do we do? You know what I mean? No, nothing you can do at that point. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard of other bands where they're like, when they say like, okay, if you really got to take a crap and you can't pull over, you know, you like put a garbage bag in the toilet 
uh-huh. and then you crap in the garbage bag and then you tie it up and then throw it away later, you know? But no, he didn't do that, you know. And you know, and our whole thing was like, why didn't you just go into the hotel? The hotel was right there. It wasn't like, you know, we were moving, you know? With much better facilities, as I'm assuming. <laughs> exactly. Uh. It wasn't like we were moving. It wasn't like we were in the middle of nowhere. You know, so we were, uh, yeah, it was a pretty horrible thing. We were like, oh, God, we're going to get kicked off this tour, and we're going to get fined all this money. <laughs> uh. Uh, so we'd like to welcome back to the program Koalina. <laughs> potty mouth. Potty, potty mouth. Toilet tales of the road. Toilet tales of touring. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh, now there's something that needs a claymation uh, show. Toilet tales of touring. I like it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, we're uh, we've already started talking about the dirt bombs here, and th- that is what we did not get to when last you were on with us, Co. I know we had such a fun time talking about everything else, just about everything else, but we never quite got to the dirt bombs. Tell us a little bit about how you joined the dirt bombs because you were joining sort of a pre-established musical collective, and there must have been a learning curve a little bit there. Oh my god! How did that come about? Who approached who? Can you can you give us the the entryway into the dirt? It was a little weird because I remember they were recording Ultra Glide in Black. Yeah. And I came in and did backup vocals with Deanne, mm-hmm. Ivan from the Come Ons. And when like the Dirt Bombs would do bigger shows, like they did a show with Blondie, they oh. said, Hey, why don't you guys come back and do backup vocals for like the songs off of Ultra Glide? So I knew all the songs. Yeah. <laughs> And then there was an instance where Jim couldn't do some shows because he had some prior recording things set up. Mm-hmm. So it was the 3rd or 4th of July, 2002 or three. I think 2002. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks before that, they approached me and they said, hey, we know that you already know most of the songs. Like, you know how the songs go. We need a bass player for, for this show. And I said, okay, yeah, I can do that. And they said, all right, well here's a tape of all the songs that we play for the shows normally. Learn it. Do it. Do it. Come on. Do it now. And I was like, okay, cool. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Simple, direct. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I had to go to Mix House to pick up the tape. And I remember going to Mick's house and, like, knocking on the door. And he was out in a bus pooping. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only way I could get comfortable, you guys. (laughs) And I remember Mick's dad came to the door and he was like, Mickey, there's some Chinese girl out here looking for you. (laughs) But, yeah, so I got this tape from uh, Mick. And then I went home and I learned all the songs. And I was like, all right, okay, cool. 
<laughs> and then you know came the show, and it was in Detroit. It was for what they used to have a uh, Taste Fest, mm-hmm. which they don't have anymore. But anyway, so like you know, we're getting ready to go up on stage, and I think it was Mick who said to me, he was like, "Oh, I forgot to tell you," and I'm like, "Oh, okay." And he's like, "All the songs that are on Ultra Glide." They're not in the key that they're on on the tape. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he was like, well, when we recorded it, something happened with the tape, so they're not in that same key. But you'll figure it out. It's okay. You know, you'll figure it out. And luckily for me, most of those songs, I don't start the drum start or mix starts or something. And I can, like, kind of figure it out, you know? Like, I can just jump in and be like, all right, it's this note. Yeah. But, like, Chains of Love is a song that I start, and I'm like, all right, dudes, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, Because I have no idea what key I'm supposed to start in. Yeah, no amount of perfect pitch can help when you don't know where you're starting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, I had no idea what key they actually were starting those songs in. But yeah, so I ended up doing some shows as Jim. In full Jim cosplay, I'm assuming. <laughs> Your hair all slicked back. <laughs> yeah, gained a bunch of weight and, <laughs> you know, and like taped some fur, some hair on my body. <laughs> Um, and then Tom left the band, Mm -hmm. so I became Tom, so I had to learn all Tom's parts on the bass, which was fine, so I learned all Tom's parts on the bass, and (laughs) I think it was, which record was it? Maybe We Have You Surrounded? Mick was like, oh, I really think you should play baritone on this one. So I was like, okay, and I got a baritone guitar, so I had to relearn everything on baritone. In another key. <laughs> he said, we're changing it all up again. <laughs> the only thing that was weird about that is because the baritone's tuned differently than the uh, basses. You know, the basses mm-hmm. tuned okay. to E and the baritone's tuned to B. So it wasn't that much different, but it was just like, okay, come on. You know, how many times have I learned these songs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You know? They put you through the ringer. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and then, and, and it was kind of weird for a little bit because, you know, we had like, Troy and Jim Mm -hmm. on bass and it was sort of like Jim was doing all of like the fun stuff like all the international touring and Troy was doing all of the U.S. touring which I hate to say this but it's just like we'd done so many U.S. tours at that point that we were like oh we gotta tour the U.S. again (laughs) I mean and I I, I don't mean that to get you know like anti-U.S. or anything but it's just like we always go to the same venues you know and it's America you know we all live in America so it's like okay we're stopping at Cracker Barrel. We're stopping right. at, you know, you know, there's not like that element of excitement as there is like yeah. when you go to Europe and you're like, oh, 
what's this crazy weird place or you right. know or japan or whatever they have the croissant uh, barrel in france is what i yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, what's Le Cracker Barrel? <laughs> they have like the Flying J, you know, where they have the twenty-four hour truck stops. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they have those in in England, but they have like a restaurant that's called Little Chef. And I remember like our tour manager being like, "You don't want to eat there. That they, they, they should call that place Little Thief <laughs> because oh the food's so bad." <laughs> Oh, yeah, and it was just you know, and it's like instead of the highway, it's the motorway, and sure. you know, and you know, it's, it's exciting. I mean, how many yeah. times can you go to Tallahassee before you're like, put a gun in my mouth, please? You know what I mean? So I, I get yeah, it. I totally get it. I, yeah, I mean, and there were certain venues that were just like Iowa City. Sure. <laughs> we had had like a really terrible show there at one point, and we we're like, oh, this venue, it's a terrible load in. Because it's like up these three flights of like metal stairs, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't remember what the place was called originally. But we're like, oh god, please never play this place again. And then finally, we you know they're like Iowa City, you guys are playing blah blah blah. And we're like, whoa, new place, awesome! <laughs> and we get there, and they just change the name. Like, oh no, it's the same place but a different name. <laughs> You guys are touring all around with the Dirt Bombs. We have with us today Kate McCoy, Dirt Bomb super fan. Yay, Kate! Hello, friends. Kate has some awesome <laughs> Dirt Bomb questions to ask you, Co. Kate, do you want to take it away? Sure. Well, Co, so I always wonder, like, you're the only woman in this band of, like, yeah. of dudes. And I know we kind of yeah. we kind of touched on some of the highlights and lowlights, if you will. Of what that can mean, but well, what is that like? You have you've toured all over the world with them, so what's that like? What's it like being the only woman on the road with them? Well, with the exception of the come ons, and the come ons, we only ever did like one, like three or four date tour. Hmm. I've only ever been in a band full of dudes, so um, I don't really know any different. And I'm, I have to say that. We've always had tour managers that have been female. Oh, that's nice. So that's always been a, a plus for me. You know, because there's five of us. So, you know, we'll end up getting six rooms, and then we have a tour manager, and I end up rooming with the tour manager, who's a woman. But when, you know, when we're saving money and it's just the five of us, it's not really that different because I've always been sort of a tomboy. I've always hung out with dudes my whole life. I was a bartender for years and years, you know, and it's just kind of like, I don't, obviously there's little hygiene things that I'm kind (laughs) of like, all right, dudes, come on, really? You know, and there would be things that, uh, little comments that they would make, you know, they would be like, hey, check that girl out. And after a while, I'm just like, hey, guys, check that girl out, (laughs) you know? But I mean, and but it's, the, it's just a fire hydrant on the street. <laughs> You're just like, check it out. Just look. Yeah. Check this out. I think I got pretty lucky because in terms of the guys who are in the dirt bombs, they're pretty gentlemanly. Mm. You know, I mean, we've encountered other bands where the dudes are a little less. Uh, they're more dude bros. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I think obviously with the exception of Ben, the other guys are older. 
And I think Ben was in a long-term relationship, and they were just a lot more respectful. And they're guys, obviously, but I don't think that they... Sure. They weren't like, yeah, what's up? You know, like dumb dudes. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they, you know, they're not like Motley Crue. You know what I mean? Right, right. It wasn't like being the only... Being a girl and being in Motley Crue or something like that. Sure. Not a lot of chest thumping. No, no. I read Ben Blackwell's blog from time to time. Mm-hmm. And so if, and if you go back, like he writes about some of the dirt bombs touring. But it's funny because really with the exception of maybe Tom Potter, everybody seems pretty mellow. <laughs> and not that Tom wasn't like gentlemanly or, or kind. He just seemed to maybe have more of like a party spirit. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the funny thing. After you guys put up that last podcast, everybody is posting stuff about like all the terrible things that I did, like making the fake IDs and stuff. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, you know, we came up with this whole thing is like, you know, whoever you replace in the dirt bombs, that's who you kind of become. <laughs> Wow, like a picture of Dorian Gray, but a picture of Mick Collins. Yeah, you kind of take on the traits of that person. And, yeah, Tom was definitely the more, like, party animal of the band. And even before I joined the Dirt Bombs, I was definitely, like, kind of a party animal, you know? I mean, I was a bartender, for God's sakes, you know? So when I joined the band, I was like, yeah, party! (laughs) And it took me a couple years of being in the band before I realized I was like... This does not work. I mean, I understand why a lot of people fall into, like, drugs and alcohol and, you know, the party lifestyle being in a band. Because it's a really hard thing to keep up with, you know? It's like, you sit around for hours and hours and hours, and then you get that, like, hour or 45 minutes of, like, adrenaline and everybody loves you! And then you're expected to kind of just be like, all right, go sleep. And, like, get ready for tomorrow or whatever, you know? Back on the bus. And so you kind of you don't have that wind down, and you and, and it's, it, it sort of feels like a letdown. So I understand why people end up needing that, you know? They need something more. They need some sort of... Mm-hmm. Uh, they need something else to fill that time, or they need something to help them transition. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a killer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, you know, at a certain point in time, I just had to go clean and sober, you know? I mean, and most of the band, like, Ben, you know, Ben doesn't drink or do anything at all. Mick barely drinks. Pat has wine once in a while. Troy will have his moments. (laughs) (laughs) And, but, but, yeah, but for a while there, you know, when I replaced Tom, I was definitely, like, the one that people were like, oh, God, we got to take care of Co. You became the new Tom. Yeah, exactly. And, and, that, and that was totally the thing. It was like, oh. You became the new Tom and the new Jim. You replaced kind of, you've been both of them. That's, that's nice. Yeah. And I mean, and I look back on those days and I'm like, oh, I can't believe some of the stuff I did. But at the same time, I can't say that I regret it or I don't regret it because it's all learning experience, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You have been in the Dirt Bombs for, like, 15 years, 16 years, Uh, since 2002? Yeah, I guess, yeah. And this is the 25th anniversary of the Dirt Bombs. Oh, my gosh. Which I'm really excited about because we got to talk to McCollins earlier in the year, and he (laughs) said he hinted that there might be a tour. That's that's news to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I, I had at some point someone had mentioned this to Ben Blackwell, like in a third man chat, and uh-huh. he was like, he said the same thing. This is news to me, and I'm like, no, please make it happen. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things that Mick says that he really wants to do. And I think there's mm. a little bit of a lack of communication with the rest of us. I mean, yeah. right now, touring is doable, but it's very difficult. Sure. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Ben has a job job at this point. I personally, I wouldn't mind touring, but I don't want to, I, I don't think I would want to tour like we used to tour. I mean, I was talking to um, somebody reached out to me, one of my listeners on the Underground Garage, and they were talking to me about touring, and I was talking about, like, I think it was 2008. And I said, yeah, 2008, we played, like, 200 and some shows that year, and that didn't include in-stores or radio shows. That much touring is just—it's killer. You know what I mean? It's—it yeah. sounds exhausting. I mean, just hearing yeah. that, it sounds exhausting. Yeah, and you know, it's like okay, we toured for like nine or ten months, or you know, whatever. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, you get, yeah, you guys toured for nine or ten months, but you don't realize that you don't get a month off. Yeah, you get like mm-hmm. three days off, maybe a week off here and there. Right. I mean, I remember we came back from Australia and New Zealand. And we had two days off before we went on an American tour. And all of us were just like, please, somebody call and say, I can't do the show. And I wasn't going to be the one to do it. You know, I'm like, I'm yeah. not going to be like, I'm the girl and I'm not going to do it. But I was jet lagged. I was exhausted. And I was the last person that they were going to pick up. And <laughs> when they pulled up, they were like, oh. And I was like, what's up, dudes? And they're like, we were praying that you were going to be the one that was going to say, let's cancel this show. Because every single one of them were like, you know, they were going to pull, they pulled up to the house and it was like, come on. You know, like, yeah. but we did it, you know, like we would just power through all those shows. So at this point in time, I don't really want to do months and months of touring. Like I wouldn't mind doing like a month in Europe and then two months off or, you know, this or that. But I, you know, I don't really have the desire to do a full year of touring. And Pat lives in Australia right now. You know, we shouldn't become covered with grief at thoughts of Australia. Because He's, he did say that we could still keep in touch with him, you know, by uh, tapping the table. And postcards. You know, yeah. I mean, everybody's got kids at this point, except for me and Mick. And 
I think touring at this point, like last year, I think it was last year, the year before, we did a one-off in Belgium. Yes. Where they flew us out, and we did one show. And I think, you know, stuff like that, where we could fly out and do like a week's worth of shows in Europe, or, you know, stuff, stuff like that. I would be way into you, but I don't know how it would work for us to be able to do touring like we used to. Well, I've booked you at the Corn Bowl in Iowa City, so. <laughs> Hello, Iowa. Go Huskers. <laughs> I'm sorry, Iowa. I don't hate you, Iowa. That's <laughs> no, fine. When you talk about touring like that, I would like to point out two things. The first thing, you sound like the very beginning of every documentary movie about a band that's about to get back on the road again. That's uh-huh. the first thing. The second thing is, I think that explains why a lot of people turn to self-medication. You know, it not only is there's a grueling schedule there, uh, but you're Mm -hmm. also in a gruel. You're putting people who are artists in a grueling schedule. And that is never a recipe for sobriety. No, Pat put it the best. He was like. When you're on tour, you're never, ever comfortable, yeah. no matter what the situation is. I mean, even if it's like you get a day off and we get booked in some really posh hotel sure. and you have the whole day to do nothing, you're still uncomfortable, right. you know, because yeah. you know that tomorrow's going to be really uncomfortable. <laughs> you, know? you know that touring is not comfortable. And, and, and it's one of those things where when you start out touring, you're like, okay, well, we're in a van and we don't have enough money to get hotel rooms. So mm. we're going to crash at people's places that, you know, come to the show. And right. it would be great. Like we could tour forever <laughs> if we could just get like a hotel room that we could all stay in. Yeah. We could tour forever. And then you get to that point and you're like, man, wouldn't it be great if we all had like a hotel room each? We could tour forever. And then you get to that point and you're like, ugh. You know what I mean? Like, it it just goes on and on and on. And I've never gotten to the point where, like, there's bands that obviously fly to every show and then fly home, you know, or whatever. Mm. Like, when you're in, like, Bob Seger or something like that. Um, Or Beyonce or something. I don't know. But I can't even imagine that that's still really awesome. You know what I mean? Like, that's still tons and tons and tons of work you know i mean the amount of work you have to do to put on a show like that it's incredible right but i will say and this is a little like dirt bombs are awesome (laughs) um there was a a few I, i don't remember how long ago it was but spin magazine did 20 best live bands uh huh, and um the dirt bombs were in the top 10 Nice. Oh, wow. And the thing that, like, blew me away about it, besides the fact that we were in the top ten, was that they did 20 best live bands, and none of the other bands in the top 20 even had merch that would travel in a a van. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, number one was, like, U2, and then it was, like, Radiohead. You know what I mean? And I was like... Man, their merch travels better than we do. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, man, we're pretty damn good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of merch, Mm -hmm. you touched on this earlier, and I got to ask, how did you go about doing merch for the Stripes? Because that must have been pretty early in the process, and I'm sort of unfamiliar with how that would have worked and when you were actually doing that. Would you be able to go into that a little bit? 
I was living with Meg at that time. Oh, okay. And um, I was bartending at the Garden Bowl, and they had just gotten really big. And I think Ben was doing merch for them sometimes, and then like mm. the Dirt Bombs would go on tour, and I obviously wasn't in the band yet. And so I think she and Jack maybe I don't I don't really know how it came about, but they said like, how about you come out and do merch with for us? So I did merch for them for a little bit, and it kind of blew me away. I mean, it was a fun job because it was like bartending. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. Except instead of making drinks, I'm throwing out T-shirts and you know, and um, and records and stuff like that. And I think that the the last I'm trying to remember what year it might have been. It, it was right before the Euro came in. Okay. Because I remember that we had to go like it, it was a big pain in the ass when we were in like in Europe mm-hmm. having all these different kinds of money and me being like, "Oh, right. you know, like <laughs> I don't yeah. know what this is and try, and trying to figure out like conversion rates every day and this and that." But yeah, it was it was pretty fun. It was uh it was a good time. Had you seen the band prior to that? Do you recall seeing them for a first time or perform, that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Any impressions on the band themselves at that stage? Uh, well, it was weird because, I, you know, I'd seen them play when they were, like, playing at the Gold Dollar, and I always thought that Jack had a really great way of commanding, like, such a small audience because he was able to, like, make you feel like he was talking to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that it was really, really, really incredible. You fell down, of course, and you got up, of course, and started over. Forgot my name, of course. Then you started to remember. Pretty tough to do. Obviously, it's been able to translate into larger audiences. Sure. You know, which is pretty amazing. I mean, I, I, you know, I never really thought about like, wow, will this be able to work when they get big? Yeah. Because I never really, you know, I never, you never think like, oh, my friends are going to be huge. You know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> you hope for that. But yeah, I always thought like, man, he's a great storyteller. He's a really great. Sure. He has a really great way of like projecting towards a group of people and making them feel like he's talking directly or singing directly to these people. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh. You know, I haven't seen any of his projects outside the White Stripes, so I don't really know what uh, what that's like. You were living with Meg at the time. Did you ever detect that Meg was nervous? Like, can I do this? Or was she like full bore? I'm in it. 
kind of thing? Did it ever feel tentative with her? Because sometimes, you know, Jack can be such a domineering figure. You know, it's you get the impression with Meg would perhaps be taking a back seat. Did you ever get that impression? Or was it more like, no, I'm in it. I'm dedicated. I'm doing this. That's a hard question for me to answer. I don't really necessarily know how to answer that. But but I'll, I'll just answer that by saying that Meg... Meg is a lot stronger of a woman than people give her credit for. Um, Obviously, you know, a lot of people, especially when the White Stripes were first starting out, they said, like, oh, she can't play drums and this and that and this and that. And, you know, she got a lot of slack. And she handled it like no one I've I've ever met, you know. Mm -hmm. And she's a strong person. She's wonderful, you know. Yeah. Agreed. We all think that. Absolutely. that talked about, I think Meg had said something along the lines of, because there were just the two of them, and I think she said, I can usually keep him where I want him, like musically, mm-hmm. with the drums. And I thought, for somebody who wasn't a drummer and who wasn't a musician, mm-hmm. I just thought that was pretty powerful. And I think I think that too. I think she always, I played the drums, not well, but I played the drums. And it's definitely, you know, people say like, who's your favorite drummer? And I'll say Meg White. People will be like, it's half and half. Some people will give her crap, and I just think, well, they just don't really know. Yeah. They yeah. just don't know. And she gave me one, one some of the best advice I've ever heard, ever. When I first started doing my radio show, I obviously would, you know, read blogs, and people would say, like, you're doing great, you're doing terrible, blah, 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 blah. Obviously, when I first started, there was a lot of amateur, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Why, why did little Steven hire this person? I don't know who, even who she is. And it really bummed me out. Like, I really had a hard time with it. And she sat down with me and she said, well, the thing is, when you read good stuff about you, it doesn't really make you feel that much better, yeah. you know? Yeah. And when you read bad stuff about you, it makes you feel terrible. So just don't read any of it, Yeah. you know? <laughs> and That is good. Yeah. Yeah. There are still people out there who say Ringo Starr can't play drums. So, I mean, obviously there's idiots with opinions everywhere. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Ringo Starr, I mean, one of the best things I ever heard about Ringo Starr was when they were talking about him, like, uh, I think it was in, like the first time when the Beatles were playing like Shea Stadium or something. And he was talking about how back then they didn't have like monitors or anything. And he was like, yeah, I couldn't hear any of those guys. I just sat back there and just played and just hoped that I was on time, you know? And it's just like, yeah, dude, Ringo Starr. Their live shows, they all 
comment on how terrible they were, especially like Shea Stadium, because the screaming was so overpowering. They, yeah. They were laughing. Like, some of them weren't even playing. They were just, like, <laughs> yeah. it, because like, it didn't matter. Yeah, I mean, oh, poor Ringo. <laughs> yeah. Poor, poor Ringo. I mean, he's doing he fine, it to seems. be okay. Yeah. 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 Well, my next Somewhat. dog will be named Ringo. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's a good well, because name. my my dog is named after George Harrison because I love George Harrison. Nice. Oh, nice. that's so nice. nice. I didn't know that. Yeah, but he he actually does not respond to George. <laughs> does your dog ever spiritually shame you by giving you any kind of Bhagavad Gita or yeah. some kind of Hare Krishna pamphlets? <laughs> no, he'll only respond to puppy. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, he just looked at me. He just went, hmm? He was like, are you talking about me? Yeah. Oh, he's so cute. I love him. I actually, I've never had a dog before. This is the first dog I've ever had. In the midst of me touring with the dirt bombs, I was like, I'm going to get a dog. And everyone's like, you cannot have a dog. You're gone too much. And I'm like, you know, I've had cats. People are like, nope, it's not the same thing. And now that I have a dog, I'm like, yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> My boyfriend and I, we went on like a two-day trip, and we boarded him. And when we got back, it was so sad. We got back, and uh, of course, the, the place we boarded him at, they were trying to be like as nice as possible about it. But they were like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't eat for two days, and he just cried the whole time. <laughs> yeah, my dog doesn't eat unless we're home. Yeah, same here. Or somebody's home. She needs she needs somebody to be there, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, to comfort her. Otherwise, she's a total hog and will eat everything. No, yeah, my dog won't eat unless I'm here. Me, not even my boyfriend. Me. <laughs> dog problem. That's adorable. That I know this is continuing on the dog subject. I really enjoy seeing the pictures of your dog on Instagram. Uh, so don't ever stop. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Me too. Yeah, you know he has his own Instagram page. I, I, I'm aware. And I, I it, and it's amazing. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a good dog picture. Yeah, I love him so much. Yeah. I think that like, um, well, we always had this thing where we, with the dirt bombs. Where we're like, we're gonna have a dirt bombs family picnic. Where everybody gets to meet everybody's Dirt Bombs family, you know? Because we've all met certain members of each other's family, but we thought it would be funny to, like, have everybody together at once. And obviously that's not going to work at this point because many of our parents are deceased and this and that. So maybe at this point it'll be, like, Ben's kids, Pat's kids, my dog, you know? (laughs) Stuff like that. (laughs) And all dogs' dirt bombs would be the best. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so good. Please let that happen. We'll take them all on tour. We'll take the kids, the dogs. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. now, uh, like, Mick is always looking for a different hook for every album. Has he considered an all-dog dirt bomb album? I don't know if Nick likes dogs. Because oh, the girl what? that he lives with, like, his ex... I don't know if it's his girlfriend or his ex-girlfriend... She has a dog, and he he always seems to be complaining about having to walk it. Okay, <laughs> so I don't I, I don't know I don't know if he if it's just like one of the things that he likes to complain about. Maybe he actually really likes a dog. I don't know. Uh, we'll yeah, see. our dad would constantly complain about how much he hated the dog, but he secretly would kiss that dog goodnight and whisper sweet nothings into its ear. So, Aww. <laughs> yes, um, he would. Okay, well, back to Dirt Bombs. Sorry. Uh, we've been discussing various Detroit bands, such as the Dirt Bombs and things, and in the last episode, you had mentioned that some of the music that you would hope might lead people onto 
other bands or to other sorts of music that are perhaps not in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Are there any bands that you were surrounded by either in Detroit or now that you liked or are something that wouldn't necessarily be on the beaten path that you would perhaps give some recommendations to? Because I think we're always uh, open to looking for some new music uh, yeah. to turn us onto and to other people, our listeners, onto. Ty Vec, Ty Vec, Ty Vec. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I love Ty Vec. I have heard uh, Ty Vec. Very good. Fred Thomas, he used to have a band called Saturday Looks Good to Me, and I've actually done a couple projects with him, and he's yes. he's just he's a really wonderful songwriter. who played with me in Cone the Knockouts. Uh-huh. He was in the sights, and he has a new project called The Scrappers. Scrappers. Yeah. Do they have a, a woman drummer? Am I making that up? I feel like I've seen something about The Scrappers. No, he's just a really, really pretty boy. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's just very, very beautiful. You know, like, he's like one of those kind of androgynous, like, if it was like the 70s or something, David Bowie and those guys would be like, oh my God, I love you. He's the kind of guy that would make a Republican senator nervous or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I am so upset with politics right now. I'm, I'm, oh. I think we all are. Ugh. Yeah. We 
learned a lot of cool stuff that was not bathroom related mm. in this interview so far. But James, one of the things I especially loved was our universal loathment of Tallahassee. And I think we can all agree, f*** Tallahassee. The best thing to come out of Tallahassee is the name of that guy from Zombieland. Or John Locke. Or... Not the philosopher, the beloved television character. Or... Was he a philosopher? He was a... Uh, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> Most people who come out of Tallahassee, I'm sure, are very nice and very good. We love Tallahassee. We love Tallahassee. We got to uh, talk a little bit about how she worked merch for the Stripes, and it was just... She was just talking about how the merch was just flying at a certain point and that band was just on fire that was really cool and of course the anecdotes of her living with meg and meg giving her those words of encouragement to like hey don't listen to what people write about you on the internet just do it you know just do your thing i thought that was just a really awesome little bit of character that we don't often get about Meg, James, you know? I mean, we don't really hear too much about her, so it was awesome to hear somebody who had personal experience with Meg. Yeah, and it's cool to get more information on Meg in general, just because we know so very little. And in a way, that's for the best, but also curious? I don't know. But yeah, interesting stuff. Yes, and then uh, I I love that Co named her dog after George Harrison. Oh, yeah. And her next dog will be Ringo. (laughs) (laughs) That dog will be replaced by uh, a dog named George Carlin eventually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Just to round that out here, some really great musical recommendations from Co. I wound up downing some Tyvek and uh, some music by The Scrappers Mm -hmm. and also some music by Saturday Looks Good to Me. And all three songs were amazing. Like, I listened to these three songs Hot damn. They're all great. And James, I think you said that you were familiar with Tyvek. Yeah, uh, vaguely, because we had discussed Tyvek for... Was it the Pokey Lafarge episode? It was... If it wasn't that, it was a year in review episode, because that was the episode where I did uh, the Home Depot guys. Yes. In the animation. Uh, So I don't remember. I think that was the year in review episode. But yeah, so Tyvek... Great discovery. Yeah. Cool band, interesting sound, and uh, yeah, nice recommendation from Co. Well, James, what do you say we just get back into it here? I'm ready to make a splash and jump on back into this interview. Co, you just said something that segues actually into the next question I had, which is, Mm -hmm. uh, in looking up your discography beyond the stuff that we sort of were already aware of, I found some things that I didn't really know about, and actually you just mentioned one, which is the band Saturday Looks Good to Me. Yeah. You uh, Mm -hmm. you sang backup vocals on their album Every Night in 2004. How'd you get uh, hooked up with Saturday Looks Good to Me? I actually sang lead on one of their songs. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. Fred and I have been really good friends. I love, love, love Fred. Uh Just tell you. 
and I, I don't even remember how exactly we, we became friends, but we did some songwriting together and we became really, really good friends. There was a point in which I kind of had to get out of Detroit and it was just like too much party for me, mm-hmm. you know, and I ended up, he was in Ann Arbor, so I ended up staying in Ann Arbor with with him for a little bit. And then I went back on tour with the Dirt Bombs, and we did a couple songs together just for Coban stuff, which you can find on SoundCloud. Uh-huh. But before that, I had been on tour with the Dirt Bombs for a while, and so I, you know, I was just used to singing like backup stuff. And I came home, and every year they have like a Christmas show, and so Fred was like, "Oh, we should do a Christmas song together." So we wrote like this Christmas duet where it was like, what do you want for Christmas? You know? mm-hmm. And it was really fun for us to, you know, kind of do the song together. And then like a week later, he was like, oh, I wrote this song for this new album I'm doing. Do you want to sing it? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And <laughs> it was funny because we went to Warren DeFever studio from His Name is Alive. And my singing chops in terms of like lead singing chops were not up to par at all. <laughs> yeah. And so, and not only that, but the song was written in a key that if I had been practicing, I probably could have done better, but I wasn't doing that well uh-huh. singing. You know, so we did one take of it and Warren burned a CD of it and he was, and he just wrote on it, practice. <laughs> <laughs> so then me and Fred went back and we listened to it and it was like, all right, a lot of those high notes I cannot hit right now yeah. just because I'm not used to hitting them. Mm. So we ended up doing like a lot of harmonies on that song. I love Saturday Looks Good to Me. I love that record. There's a couple songs on there that I'm like, why didn't I sing those songs? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we did a lot of songwriting together. He's an amazing, amazing songwriter. He's one of those guys where I just, I do not understand why someone hasn't like picked him up and just been like, ta-da, you know, why he's not super famous. Mm -hmm. He's amazing. That whole record is great. So if you don't have it, you should get it. As we were saying, you know, it's awesome going down these different trails and finding different artists we're not super familiar with. And so after we spoke the last time, the biggest revelation to me was getting more into the come-ons because I wound up really loving the come-ons and really did a deep dive into their discography and stuff. So A, thank you for doing that. And B, the other one I wanted to uh, ask about was uh, Spiritualized. I know you mentioned them earlier in the conversation, but you had collaborated with Spiritualized. Uh, Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh my gosh. Oh, that was like one of the highlights of my life. (laughs) (laughs) We had met Spiritualized in Minneapolis. We were playing a show. You know, there's obviously the famous Purple Rain venue. Mm -hmm. And that venue is actually two different venues. There's a big Prince Purple Rain room. And then there's a smaller venue. And we were playing the smaller venue. And Spiritualized was playing the bigger venue with the Soldad Brothers. Okay. Because Ben Swank had been living in England at that point in time. Uh-huh. And so he knew Jason from living in England. And, and so I was really excited. I was like, oh, my God, spiritualized. I could meet Jason Spaceman. This is going to be like the highlight of my entire life. But, of course, the way the shows were running, I didn't get to see them. And I didn't, you know, I was like, I'm not going to get to meet them. This sucks. Yeah. You know? So we were downstairs tuning up, getting ready for the show. And they're like, you know, you guys got to get on stage. You got to get on stage. So me and Mick are running up the stairs with our instruments. And Jason is walking down the stairs. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's Jason's (laughs) figure. 
<laughs> and they're just like, got to get on stage. And I'm like, damn it. All right. Oh, well, there goes my chance to meet Jason Spaceman. Whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, And then we played probably one of the best shows we've ever played. You know, it was just like one of those shows where we were just all really psyched and really just on. And the audience was really into it. The sites had opened up for us, and they were really good. And, you know, it, it was just one of those shows that was, like, magical, you know, for for lack of a better term. Yeah. And luckily for us, Spiritualized, those guys actually stuck around to see us, probably because Ben Swank told them that they should. Mm-hmm. And so when we got finished playing, I went down to the green room, and I was just sitting there, like, drenched in sweat and smoking, being like, oh, my God, I'm exhausted, <laughs> and I'm so bummed because I didn't get to meet Jason Spaceman. And then he walks over, and he was like, Ugh! you know, and he was like, I had to watch that show because I was walking down the stairs, and I see the biggest man with the littlest guitar and the littlest girl with the biggest guitar running up the stairs, and I had to see what the hell this was all about. (laughs) And from then on, we just, like, kept in touch, and every time we were in England, if we were in London or uh, Newcastle or something, Uh he would come and see us play. You know, I would talk to him on the phone or email him and stuff. And finally, he was recording songs in A and E, that record. And we were playing a show, and during the day, he had said, "Oh, if you have some time tomorrow, because we had like a day or two off after the show before we were flying home." And he said, "If you have the day off tomorrow, do you want to come into the studio and do some vocals?" Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Uh, (laughs) yeah." Like, who's going to say no to that? Yeah. And um, and he's like, okay, well, because we were in England so much, I bought, like, a disposable British cell phone. Yeah. So I was like, just ring me up and tell me where to meet you or whatever. And he said, okay, you know, that's fine. In England, they call it a lorry. <laughs> <laughs> but the, so here's the bad part about the whole story. This is when everything goes wrong. We had just come from Germany. And while we were in Germany, I think we were in Berlin or something, and I had a few hours before sound check, and I was walking around. I don't even know if it was Berlin. I don't know where we were. Somewhere in Germany. Mm-hmm. And I found this absinthe store. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit of Tom Potter lives on in you. <laughs> no, exactly. This is when I'm still like bad yeah. co, bad co. I mean, in the absinthe store, it sounds like a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right before we're supposed to play. Great idea, co. <laughs> I find this absinthe store and I'm like, oh, cool. Absinthe is totally illegal in America. I'm going to try some absinthe and maybe like... <laughs> buy some bottles and take them back to America, you know? Mm. So I'm talking to this guy in the absinthe store, and he's got, like, 200 different bottles. Mm-hmm. What do I do, you know? And he's like, well, you should try it first. <laughs> I'm like, okay, why not? Sure. So I have, like, a couple drinks of absinthe, and I'm just... Okay, I, I noticed you bleeped me out a bunch last time, so I'm going to try not to swear so much. You can. We'll bleep it, but it's fine. Okay. I, I had some absinthe, and I'm just... I had no idea where I was, who I was, what was going on at all. And I guess I bought $300 worth of absinthe, oh and... Um, Finally, my British cell phone was ringing because my tour manager was looking for me. And the guy at the absinthe store, like, talked to her and she came and found me. 
And I guess I played the show fine. <laughs> I don't remember. So wait, let me get this, let me get this straight. You were trying to purchase and import illegal substances using your burner phone that you have for other countries. <laughs> While you're blacked out drunk, are you living in season two of The Wire? I love The Wire. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Oh, gosh. I could tell you stories, but I, I can't because... Oh, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Because it's can't. recorded, yeah. So, yeah. So then we go to England. We go to London, and it's like our last show before, you know, we're supposed to go home or whatever. The show's with the band Adult, who's from Detroit as well. Yeah. Our friends The Ponies from Chicago, and their drummer... Nathan, who's now my boyfriend, <laughs> they were in town. And so we're like, party time! <laughs> and Jason shows up and he was like, oh yeah, cool. So we drank, I don't know how many bottles of the absinthe we drank because <laughs> I ended up not bringing any absinthe home. Um, and the last thing I remember, um, our tour manager, Louisa. <laughs> She has a brother, and I was staying at her brother's flat because the rest of the band was staying at Louisa's parents' place. And Louisa's parents are great. They got introduced to each other by Stevie Wonder. Oh, wow. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, really great. And and then for a while, uh, Louisa's, bro- <laughs> Louisa's brother, David, for a while I was like, yeah, you know what? I wouldn't mind having dual citizenship with England. And he was like, we could totally get married because... He would sometimes come with us on these tours. So we would like take pictures with each other in front of the Eiffel Tower and stuff. And he was like, we got to make it more legit. So he actually wrote a song about me called I'm Getting Married in the Spring. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's all about how we're going to get married. I'm getting married in the spring to the sweetest thing. And I know she's gonna make my heart up and sing She really knocks me out Wherever she's about Oh, I just can't wait to get married in the spring um, We never did get married. He, he He's married to somebody else and has two kids, but... But, you know, it was all this big ruse so that both of us could possibly have dual citizenship <laughs> if we wanted to. You know, in that way, you know, there's no questioning it because there's all mm-hmm. these pictures of us in all these foreign countries. And he's written this beautiful song about me, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, so, yeah, whatever. So, I, you know, I'm at, I'm at David, Louise's brother's flat. And we stayed up all night and we started walking and we walked to... Golders Green, which is a crematorium, and that's where like Mark Bolin's ashes are, and Keith Moon's. Oh my God! uh, George Harrison wrote a song about that place, uh, Golders Green. At night I don't go out much. I stay home for peace. I try to make the most out of my 99 year lease. Going down to Golders Green. Going down to Golders Green. You know, it's like five in the morning and we're just like, wow, you know, (laughs) off of our rockers. And we finally get to Louise's parents' house 
And Louise is like looking at me. She's like, oh, you look a mess. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to lay down on your parents' couch, you know. Did you wind up mixing Mark Boland's ashes into the absinthe like some sort of horrible tang <laughs> or, or Ovaltine or something? I, I, no, I, I ended up taking some of Mark Boland's ashes and some of Keith Moon's ashes and I snorted them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So you just woke up with a top hat and a beer belly, and you're like, what happened? I danced myself into the tomb. No, so I I went to lay down on Mr. and Mrs. Viner's couch, and the second I, like, laid my head down, my phone rang, and it was Jason Spaceman, and he said, (laughs) so are you ready to come in and do some tracks? And I was like, So obviously, I've been up all night. I've been like, you know, all night. I'm in no shape to sing or do anything. But, you know, I can't say no. You know, you don't say no to something like this. So I'm like, okay. So he says, all right, well, where are you? And I tell him, and he's like, all right, get on this, you know, get on the tube, get off at the station, and I'll come meet you. So so I get off the tube station at the stop that he tells me to, and he's there with one of his kids and, like, what do they call them? Oh, a pram. Yeah. Or a stroller. A pram. Or a stroller. Yes. Yeah. Or a stroller yeah. if you're in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. A lift, perhaps. But since we're in London, it's a pram. And he just takes a look at me and he goes, You've been up all night, haven't you? <laughs> and I was like, Yeah. And he was like, Well, that's amazing. Well, I have to say, most people would have canceled, so I give you credit. Let's go to the studio. <laughs> nice. So we go to his studio, and I'm just doing a terrible job. I'm trying to sing, I'm trying to sing, I'm trying to sing. And like it got maybe a little bit better by the end of the day, but it just was not that good. And he kept saying, I know you don't feel well because you've been up all night, but I also do not feel well either. And I was like, well, maybe we should just call it and... I'm going to be back in the U.S., and I have access to a studio, and I can always send you tracks. And he said, yeah, you know, we might as well do that. So I'm just going to walk you to the tube station. And we're walking to the tube station, and he's just like, oh, man, it's hard for me to breathe. I'm just having such a hard time. And I said to him, I was like, well, why don't you, you know, go to the hospital or something or go see a doctor? And he said, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'll think about that. I give him a big hug, and we part ways. And then I go home, I sleep for like three days, and then someone sends me an email, and it's like a posting from NME, and it's like, Jason Spaceman close to death. And I'm like, what? And apparently, he had gotten double pneumonia, and it was so bad that they had brought like his wife and kids into grief counseling and told him like say goodbye because he's gonna Holy die crap. and i had oh my god yeah and i was like what do i do because i don't have any way to get in contact with him i only had his number i didn't have his wife's number you know what i mean i and i was like what the fuck happened I, you know i slept for like three days and he's like dying wow <laughs> i was just like oh my god he obviously got better and then i talked to him and he's always like and he said you almost killed me. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so now we always joke about that. And I think there's some interview where he actually says that, <laughs> that I almost killed him. <laughs> 
which is really nice. One of my heroes says that I almost tried to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> your the best show that you've played and the worst show that you've played best show ever was primavera festival i don't remember what year it is ben would know i think we might have talked about this show on the last podcast i'm assuming there's a lot of pasta (laughs) um it was in uh barcelona Number one, primavera festival is like one of the hands down best festivals ever so if someone's like hey you guys can go to Primavera Festival, go, because it's amazing. They just have the best bands, and, I mean, the thing doesn't start until, like, 9 o'clock, you know, and it runs until, like, 5 in the morning. (laughs) And it was one of those shows that we were super, I don't know, we were just super hyped about playing, and I'm going to talk some shit here. But, like, (laughs) the band that played after us was this band called the Propeller Heads. They were really nice guys, but their tour manager was this guy named Ian, and he was one of those tour managers who was very competitive, which I think is really weird. I want to make sure my band plays better than your band, you know? And it's like, dude, you're not even in the band, whatever. But so we got on stage, and we just tore it up. Like, it was like magic, you know? Like, everything was... Mm -hmm. Everything was hitting the right spots. I had terrible carpal tunnel at that time, but I was just like, play through the pain! You know, like, <laughs> jumping in the audience, everything. My bass strap broke at one point, and the guys... And it was funny because the propeller heads, their stupid tour manager, Ian, saw the whole thing happen and he just stood there. And the guys from the propeller heads actually came over and they were like frantically trying to duct tape it, something together, so the guitar would stay on me. You know what I mean? (laughs) And they were like looking at their tour manager like, why aren't you helping her? You know? And after we finished playing the set, we were doing this festival circuit. So, you know, during the festival circuit, they always have like medical tents or whatever and the best thing Mm. about those medical tents is you can go there and get b12 shots okay i love a b12 it'll cure you from your absinthe hangover yeah i would do that all the time but uh so i as soon as we got done playing i was like so adrenaline filled and like so happy but my wrists and my fingers hurt so bad so i was like i gotta go to the medical tent and see what they can do for me (laughs) and and it was like crossing a street you know it wasn't that far and it took me an hour and a half because everybody was like, ah, dirt bombs, <laughs> you know? That's awesome. And we were there for a few days. For some reason, we had a few days off. And, like, the rest of the bands, other bands were like, man, we saw you guys play, and that was just 
life changing. You know, awesome. and, and so that was that kind of show where we were just like, hell yeah, we're the best band in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Worst show ever. <laughs> yeah. And I think that this is very agreed upon with everybody in the band. I'm not positive where it was. I'm going to say it was in Italy. We played this little bar and it was one of those situations where everything that could happen happened. Everybody broke strings. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I think by the end of the show, I had one string left on my guitar. <laughs> Troy might have had two. Mick might have had one. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It was just one of those things oh. where it's just like everybody. Ben was lost in another van that somebody stole. <laughs> yeah. I think that, like, maybe Ben and Pat maybe had one drumstick between the two of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just one of those things where it was just like. Well, everything just went wrong. Like, all the equipment kept going out. But one of the things that I've learned is that no matter how bad of a show we think it is, you know, we're so used to, like, oh, wait, we want to play the perfect show. We want everything to be perfect. Right. But that doesn't really necessarily mean that, like, the audience doesn't see, like, oh, Co missed three notes there, right, you know? Right. Like, they're happy with the show. As long as we're, like, having fun and we're, like, exuding all that we can to, like, make the show a good time. They're happy with the shows. So, I mean, maybe that show they may not have been too happy with, but... uh. (laughs) Even still, like, the audience in most cases would probably go, did you see that Co only had one string towards the end and was still playing? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Personally, the worst show for me was that Knitting Factory show where I split my hand open the head. Oh, with the finger. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was personally the worst show for me. I was like... Even when we talked to Ben, he mentioned that without us prompting it, uh-huh. he was like, yeah, that was a bad show. Yeah. Uh, she, she hurt herself really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's, and it's one of those things like, I, where I, you know, I talk about that. Like, af- after I talked to you guys, one of my uh, radio listeners asked me about it, and they said they watched uh, YouTube videos of us and said, like, you guys are just, like, destructive like, how many times do you guys go to the hospital? And I was like, yeah, we kind of got good at going to the hospital in countries where they have socialized health care. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's much, much, much easier. Yeah. I remember there was a show we played, like, in Europe at one point where, like, um, like the Afghan wigs and, like, the bell rays were standing over by, like, me and Ben's side of the stage. And Ben, like, threw his symbol up and almost decapitated John Curley. And I was like, oh, Ben, don't kill our band fans, you know? Wowzers. <laughs> so we've got a special lightning round prepared here. Oh, no. So we're going to do a couple to close things out. And again, we, we thank you so much for joining us once more. This has been amazing. And we have a bunch of rapid-fire questions we're going to throw at you. And you give us, like... Boom, boom, boom. You know what I mean? And if you don't like it, you just tell us pass. Pass. Okay. All right. right. So we got lightning round here. We'll just go boom, boom, boom. Okay. First question. Who would win in a fight? The E Street Band or the Dirt Bombs? Ooh. uh, E Street Band. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Bruce is from New Jersey. He could could do a mean mean sucker punch. Yeah. Even though the Dirt Bombs are from Detroit, I got to say the E Street Band. All right. Okay. You have one album by one group to take with you on a desert island. What is it? Can we go by genre? Can we go in... <laughs> uh, that's too hard. 
Um, okay, uh, we'll go with two two genres: rock and roll. Um, do we get decades? <laughs> <laughs> See, the problem is, is with me, I get stuck on a certain record, and I listen to that record for like three months straight, and then I get sick of it, and I never want to hear it again. <laughs> okay, 80s McCartney albums. Which ones do you pick? <laughs> Please say Pipes of Peace. Okay, yes, yes. Okay, okay Pipes of Peace is going with Kodo Desert Island. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have you ever played a keytar? No. I want to, though. Ah. Okay. You're keytar curious. I got it. All right. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's going with you to the desert island. <laughs> so it's freshman year of high school, and you're listening to one album on repeat. What is it? Oh, the, um, the jam in the city. Nice. Nice. If you had to send one fellow musician to Interlochen Music Camp, whether it be as punishment or training, who would it be? Mick Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. What is your favorite diner in Detroit? Oh, Lafayette. No, Nemo's. 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 Okay. No. <laughs> can you get a genre? <laughs> you can do top three. <laughs> I'll say Lafayette. Okay. okay. And what should we get there? Coney Island, dude. Okay. All okay. right. I figured, but all right. Uh, and uh, what's one nickname you gave somebody else that they hated? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, these are kind of nicknames people don't know about. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> the best kind. The well, close. Did you? Talker. Did, you uh, did you name Mick Collins guy who shat on the bus? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know if he knows. We actually didn't come up with us this. We were touring with. Uh, that band, the Terrible Twos, and they started calling Troy Gargamel. (laughs) Was it because he had a bloodlust for Smurfs? (laughs) Yeah, Gargamel from the Smurfs. (laughs) He was always chasing those little blue creatures. (laughs) (laughs) And then we started, like, we would, like, take pictures of Troy and put them next to pictures of Gargamel. Oh my god! And then text oh my god, we're breaking other. we're breaking news here on the Third Men podcast. Uh, and if we get Troy on the show, uh, we are letting him know. But then, of course, when we started doing that tour with TV on the radio, those guys, man, they did some really hilarious stuff. Like Tunde, you know, he's the singer. He doesn't play guitar or anything. People try to sell all sorts of stupid shit on eBay. Yeah. And people would come up to him with guitar, like pick guards and stuff, and be like, "Oh, will you sign this?" And he's like, "He doesn't play guitar. You know that he's gonna, they're just going to put that on eBay." So he would start doing stuff like, <laughs> like drawing like clansmen and writing like oh Tunde TV on the radio. You know, like. No. <laughs> oh my god. You know, because he was just like, you're not putting this on eBay. You know what I mean? I'm not, you know, like if you're a fan, cool. <laughs> but if you're you're giving me a guitar, you know, like I don't play guitar in the band, dude. <laughs> Be- uh, before I became an actual comic artist myself, mm-hmm. uh, when I would get signatures from comic artists and stuff at, at cons and stuff, just so they knew I wouldn't resell it, I would 
asked them, would you sign this and wrote, signed this. So yeah. uh, this guy, David <laughs> Mack, I, I said, can you write David Mack signed this? And he's like, you, are you sure? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. it's fine. And then I would bring that same book back to him the next year and say, can you say David Mack signed this again? Oh. Uh, I enjoyed doing that kind of stuff because yeah. I always liked the story behind the, the autograph and, and not making them worry that I'm going to sell it on eBay. Because, yeah. You know, it's, right. It's yeah. The point. Or like when we met uh, Mark Hudson, we didn't actually even ask for an autograph. We just asked him to graffiti on Ringo's face on an album cover. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was way better than a signature. And he knew we weren't going to put that on eBay because anyone else would just say we ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> Koth, this has been amazing. You are amazing. Oh, Thank thanks. you again yeah. so much. You guys are amazing. And you're welcome back on the show whenever you want. Seriously. All right. Part three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> part three. <laughs> but thank you again, Co. And listeners out there, check out the Comalina program. Uh, and it's on Saturday. For, I'm doing this from memory, so forgive me if I'm wrong. Saturdays, 8 a.m. till noon. 8, Se- eight to noon. Series That's XM right. 21. Little Steven's Underground Garage. Underground Garage. Yeah, and Little Steven's Underground Garage retweeted us, and that made James and I extremely happy. So uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Now we feel like members of the E Street Band. Oh. Yes. <laughs> uh, but thanks again, Co. And we'll get back to the show here. We'll see you in part three. Yay! Can't wait. <laughs> It's been a wonderful time chatting with Co. It's been another fantastic interview from Co. And I'm so thankful that she came on the show. Thank you, Co. Again, you're welcome back anytime. Let's do a part three. Yeah, we talked about a part three. So Let's... part three may be happening, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe we'll get into some other weird shenanigans. You never know. Yeah. James, what do you say we get into some shout-outs here? People who are talking about the show on the internet. I would love to. How about an all-Twitter one? We'd like to thank Lorraine Leclerc and Peppermint Swirl. Yeah, Peppermint Swirl sent us a very nice message about the uh, Flat Duo Jets episode. So it was very nice that we did a while back, so you should check that out. And uh, we'd also like to thank Bibop G. Gresta. Uh, for mm. following us there. And uh, we also would like to thank Stacy Brill and Ben Grieve. Jennifer Turner. It looks like she discovered our show. So thank you to Jennifer. Yes, uh, Daniela SPP, BHR Rules, which I assume means Boarding House Reach Rules. Yeah, they gave us a nice little note there. Yeah, thank you so much. Apparently, they were at the Sandlot game. So. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's cool. I'd like to also shout out Joanne Beggs. She's been talking to us lately a lot online, so thank you, Joanne. We really appreciate your listenership. We, pre- mm. you know, it's nice to hear from you. Keep on letting us know what you think about the episodes because we like to hear that stuff. Because yeah, you know, it's it's because of you, the listener, that we're doing this you know, to connect with the Jack White community there. So, thank you for reaching out to us, Joanne. We have some regular listeners too. Yeah, are we gonna parcel it down, yeah. or are we gonna do the whole thing? Well, yeah, let's parcel it down a little bit. So, okay, we've got a lot of people who are talking to us a lot, day in and day out. And instead of having you guys sit through it every time, we'll highlight a couple every couple weeks instead. Yeah, and maybe that'll give us the breath to add a few. So one of the people I would like to give a special shout out, which we don't normally do to because we, I don't think we ever added him to the list, was uh, Nick Langford. 
Uh, mm. Nick Nick reaches out to us all the time, and we love hearing from Nick. He's always got something interesting to say, so thank you, Nick Langford. Lang and you from the heavens? Oh, we're going to lang you up from the heavens. Yeah. Hey. It's just, it's there's your very own bad nickname, courtesy of us. And I'd also like to thank, once again, Yvette Wilkins for sending us that lovely message. That's Wilkins on Sunshine. We would like to thank Callie Durga, a third woman in spirit every week, who uh, sent us in some, some cool facts and things that I think we're going to get to next episode. So always good to hear from Callie. We would like to thank Brian Walter. Be nicer to me. And, of course, Ben, the Beer Man, Blues Carnes, and Kate McCoy, the Bones of the Operation, for being our third co-host this week. So thank you so much, Kate McCoy. I think that's a good little list for today, you know? Yeah, no, that works. Uh, and if you'd like to be on one of these lists, uh, that sounds uh, terribly We'd awful. like to put you on a watch list. <laughs> if you'd like to, be, uh, to get a shout-out uh, here on the show, you can do so by going on social media and talking to us. And we like to be talked at and talked to and yes. talked with and mm-hmm. talked for. You could do that by going on a number of different platforms, such as Facebook, facebook.com slash thirdmen, Twitter, at thirdmencast on there, Tumblr, tumble on down with us at thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can find us on our WordPress page, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You can email us at our Gmail, which is thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can email us anything you'd like. Uh, Give us some stories from shows you've been to, perhaps give us some questions for listener question episodes or segments uh well you could do that and you could also find us on pippa it's where we put our shows and you should consider if you're ever thinking on doing a podcast consider uh going to pippa because they have a really great platform that yeah uh, with really great customer service and really great analytics and we love them to death and they are not paying us to say that we just really like pippa and we want you to pip on down to pippa yeah, out of all the hosting services we've used for this podcast, which have been several at this point, Pippa is far and away the best. Podcasting is neither cheap nor easy, but Pippa makes it a little bit of both there. That's the tagline I'm giving them. Mm, so you can uh, pip on down to Pippa. And that's the one you're giving them. So anyway, we'd like to thank our friends at Pippa. And uh, of course, Pippa made us available on Spotify. Uh, one of the things you can do to help support the show is to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, thank you everyone who sent us their one-word posers review with five stars. Everyone who basically wrote in and said, hey, I'd like my prize, please. I made sure that they got their stickers. But I ha- I do have more stickers here, so if you'd like, I'm happy to send those out. So all you have to do is, again, go on iTunes and write uh, a five-star review for our podcast. You know, honestly, at this point, if you just wrote one and it didn't have posers in it, I'd still send you a sticker. You know? Yeah. Well. Yeah. But it'd be it'd be nice if you could just sneak the word posers in. You could make it all sneaky, like yeah. um, maybe make a portmanteau with posers, a pose manteau, if you will. Yeah, do that. And uh, of course, you could also find us on YouTube, where Dames does a lot of funny uh, animations and things from some bits from the show. As always, we'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song, We're the Third Man, as well as Susanna Roundtree for the lovely intros and outros of our program. And James, I think until next time, I will actually not do that yet because I would like to also plug our merch store, which, again, you will hear in an ad at the end of this show. Buy our cutting boards. Get some (laughs) cheese. Once again, James will mail you cheese. If you purchase the Third Men podcast cutting boards, and that's easy, you can go to society6.com, and I believe it's slash Kaminsky Family Podcasts. 
That's K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. And uh, you'll hear more in an ad at the end of the show there. But, hey, go pick up some merch. It'll really help us out, actually, because, as we said, eh, podcasting is expensive. So it, it would help if you wanted to contribute, is all we're saying. Yeah. No uh, guarantees in the quality of the cheese. I, I'm not saying <laughs> it's going to be bad cheese. I'm just saying it's going to be low-quality government cheese. Oh, my God. It's going to be something you might not want to eat. It's more of a collector's <laughs> item. Anyway, <laughs> buy our Wait. cheese boards. Oh, okay. Anyway, I'll be looking for a home uh, in a kitchen with a cutting board with some of James's government cheese on it. <laughs> and I will be looking for a home in a boxing ring where I can get a total knockout with some spaghetti on the other side. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Ice TPs on people. Check offs. Got. Okay. Check. You, re- you ready? Check. think it's actually like it's a compliment you know like when people first <laughs> i think it's actually <laughs> oh yeah the weird counting you guys just do. all three of us together it it we'll try and keep it three i'm not doing it okay <laughs> Like potty training a kid is like potty training a dog. Uh, Paul does take <laughs> his child outside. <laughs> People won't understand this, but they'll think it's a reference to something. You should have seen the weird pornography James had on his screen during the Jim Diamond interview. (laughs) Oh, Jim Diamond probably loved it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That Jim Diamond, he's a sick puppy. (laughs) He is a sick puppy. How long is this going to take? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Text him now. <laughs> might be two hours. hours. Might be, uh, yeah, might be seven hours. We might be talking for the rest of the weekend. Yeah, it's, poss- <laughs> it's very possible. Um, so we might f- have to slide food under the door. <laughs> okay. No, oh, no, yeah, George doesn't bark. He just uh, snores. <laughs> so he might start snoring soon. <laughs>
Yes. It's time to go. <laughs> oh, it's Jesus Christ. Potty time. Ready? It's potty time. It's potty time. It's potty time. <laughs> time to shit your pants. Uh, Don't shit your pants. <laughs> Don't shit your pants. Tell dad you have to go to the toilet. <laughs> Well, this is going great uh, so far, guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know. We're, we're not going to get anywhere. This is going to be the seven-hour podcast. Yes. Oh, damn it. Uh, any embarrassing stories that you might have about him <laughs> so that we could use it as Ben Blackmail. <laughs> oh, man. be cutting that out of the podcast because yeah. they are for sure listening to everything we're saying. Yeah. 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 Now, I have uh, I have recently, my recent project has been, I've busted out the ukulele and I've been playing her some ukulele. Uh, oh. So, she seems to like that a lot. Um, and does that make her go to the bathroom? <laughs> some sort of ukulele brown note, if you will. <laughs> I don't want to say this on air because maybe, you know, we might all go to jail, but like. <laughs> I think we might. Keep- well, you know, that's the, it's funny because, uh, you know, when you're, when you start like touring with a band that you haven't been really familiar with, that's always a good um, way to gauge how well you're going to get along with them. Okay. Is how, how long it takes before you start talking about shit. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, you know what I mean. Like taking a and going to the bathroom, and yeah. because that's a really—I mean—that's a really important thing. Yeah, because especially if you're on the road. I don't know. Uh, it's like spaghetti coming out on the James, other side. I don't understand that either. I'm Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts yesterday and today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. Wow. (laughs) And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the show's as we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? <laughs> Don't worry, we will. <laughs> you can head to our social media pages, that's facebook.com slash yesterdayandtodaypodcast or facebook.com slash thirdmen, or you could head to society Six dot com slash Kaminsky family podcast. That's society the number six dot com slash K A M I N S K I family podcasts. Yeah. Keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. <laughs> Guys, we need your help. Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. Alright. 
Thank you, Dad. All right, we'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see oh, me. For God's sake.